Hi, I'm Jericho Brown, and this is my poem, Forte in the Morning. Forte in the Morning. My mother grew morning glories that spilled onto the walkway toward her porch because she was a woman with land who showed as much by giving it color. She told me I could have whatever I worked for. That means she was an American but she'd say it was because she believed in God. I am ashamed of America and confounded by God. I thank God for my citizenship in spite of the timer set on my life to write these words. I love my mother. I love black women who plant flowers as sheepish as their sons. By the time the blooms unfurl themselves for a few hours of light, the women who tend them are already at work. Blue, I'll never know who started the lie that we are lazy, but I'd love to wake that bastard up at 40 in the morning, toss him in a truck and drive him under God past every bus stop in America to see all those black folk waiting to go work for whatever they want. A house, a boy to keep the lawn cut, some color in the yard, my God, we leave things green. I'm Susan Mulder, and this is Poet Kind Podcast. You just heard Jericho Brown read Four Day in the Morning from his most recent collection of poetry, The Tradition. This happened to be one of my favorites from his book, so I was moved when he chose it to open today's episode. It was a privilege to sit down with Jericho. All you have to do is Google his name and you will see a long list of accolades. He has received a Guggenheim Fellowship for Creative Arts as well as from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study at Harvard. His first collection, Please, was awarded the American Book Award, and he received the Ansfield Wolf Award for his second book, The New Testament. The Tradition, his third collection, was a finalist for the National Book Award. Jericho is also a professor and director of the Creative Writing Program at Emory University. Let's get to it and welcome Jericho Brown to Poet Kind Podcast. Jericho, welcome to Poet Kind Podcast. I am so grateful that you'll spend a few moments chatting with me today. And I just, I've been looking forward to this for ages. So welcome. Thank you so much, Susan. You have perhaps one of the most moving collections out right now. Um, And my listeners have heard me talk about it before. I recommend it to almost everybody that asks me what's the first thing that comes to mind right now. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but for opening, you started with one of the pieces from there, and it was just so beautiful, and I want to backtrack and thank you for that. Thank you. And then I want to ask you to talk a little bit about who you are, where you started writing, and what that looked like. Uh, um. Well, I mean, I'm a poet, so, and I, I mm-hmm. imagine that's part of why I'm here today, right? Um, right. Uh, and I think um, I think knowing that knowing that is my identity uh, helps me 
every day. It helps me order my day. It helps me understand what I should be doing and how to think about my life um, and what my expectations are from my life and and what I want to give to my life, how I want to contribute to the world and how I want to contribute to poetry, to poets, to people who are, are new to poetry. Um, and I think when I think about that identity, I think of it in terms uh, I think of it in terms of a tradition. Uh, I'm not the first to be a poet. I won't be the last. And so uh, my job then is to to give something to that 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 tradition that it otherwise would not have. Um, and that there is, and I have to believe that that's possible, uh, yeah. and, which is very hard to do because there's a lot of good poetry in the world. <laughs> um, and yet, though I know there is great poetry in the world, um, I also know that only Jericho Brown can write Jericho Brown's poems mm. uh, the same way that nobody else's poems look or sound like Allen Ginsberg's poems mm -hmm. and nobody else's poems look or sound like Adrian Rich's poems and nobody else's poems look or sound like Amiri Baraka's poems, then nobody's poems should look or sound like my poems. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And that's, um, that's the way I, I think of, of what I do. It's also how I think about, um, about um, what I should be doing, what I should be experiencing and how I should be experiencing it. Uh, I remember when I was very young, Nikki Giovanni came to my undergraduate school. I went to Dillard University, it's a black school in New Orleans. And um, somebody asked her, uh, you know, what advice she would give to a young writer. And she said, uh, never say no. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember, and, and I think I've really held on to that for a very long time. Um, I'm trying now, I'm, I'm sort of on the other side of it and I'm trying to learn to say no. Um, so I think uh, when it comes to an opportunity to love, um, an opportunity to see, an opportunity to experience, I'm always saying yes to it, um, partially because I wanna have the feeling. Yes. I wanna have the experience, I wanna have the memory, but also because I understand the more I li live, the more I know, the more I read, um, the better my poems can be. Um, so that's, I mean, that's how I think about, that's how I think about who I am. I also think about, um, I also think about who I am in terms of some other identities. You know, I'm my mother and father's son. Um, I'm my sister's brother. And so, you know, I'm servicing that all day and every day. Uh, and I know that has a lot to do with the way I think, the way I, ra I was raised. My parents, uh, my parents' parents uh, and, 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 and grandparents, um, I don't really know as much about my mother's uh, grandparents, but my parents' parents were, uh, were sharecroppers. Um, and my parents were very hard uh, working people. My mom would clean people's houses. My dad would cut people's yards. So I grew up, I grew up um, <clears throat> you know, going to high school like everybody else. But then uh, when I got out of school, I had to go to work and I had to go to work in a hot sun. And I do think that that has a lot to do with, um, with my will to work now. It has a lot to do with my sense of, of discipline and my sense of gratitude. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, no matter how tired I am, I always remember I'm not that tired. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, my, yeah. my mother, my mother, when my, my mother's uh, father died when she was nine years old, mm -hmm. and already by that time, she had become, in her region, kind of famous for being this very, very young person, this kid who could pick cotton faster and better 
than her older brothers and sisters, mm. many of whom my, my grandmother had 13 kids. So um, my, when I say her older brothers and sisters, I mean grown people, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I think about that and, um, and I hear my aunts and uncles talk about that, I think to myself, I think to myself, wow, um, what a thing to have to be famous for in a region. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah, yeah. That kind of, of hard work. There aren't a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm a poet. I also think of myself as a Southerner um, in terms of my identity. There aren't a lot of people around anymore who can really talk to us about what, what, the, what, the, uh, what the institution of sharecropping and the institution of physically picking cottons with your hands was like. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I've met many of the people who could, and, and I'm glad that I'm glad to know what that experience is like, and I'm glad that that is not a part of my life <laughs> experience. So I think I think part of um, part of the reason why um, I was attracted to writing at a very young age is because um, it allowed me an opportunity to speak in a situation where um, I was to be seen and not heard, and mm. because my um, because my parents were so impressed with what they thought of as smart. I could write whatever I wanted and no one would bother me. So I might be saying awful things about them in a notebook, but they were very pleased to see me writing in that notebook. And generally, mm -hmm. because that looked to them uh, educational somehow, um, okay. then if they saw that happening, then they would leave me alone. And so I would uh, cultivate for myself all of this time um, and I didn't realize that that's what I was doing, but I was uh, creating, um, I was creating, I was training myself to be alone. Yeah, you were developing a discipline. Yeah, and, and really developing a discipline because I was reading a lot of poetry. I didn't realize at the time, I mean, I don't even think until my second book came out, did I realize that I was reading, I think, I was telling these stories, you know, I would go give readings, I would tell these stories about how when I was a kid, I was reading poetry and, um, I realized that I, how much poetry I had read when I was doing an interview similar to this one. And the interviewer said to me, Jericho, you realize that 10 year olds generally have not read all of Adrian Rich. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I was reading these poems and not understanding a word of them. Mm. And yet reading, like my goal was to get through the book and to enjoy the language, not yeah. to write an exegesis, an exegesis. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, so, exactly. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answers you, but when I think about that question, um, who I am and how I, you know, how I got started, I just think about myself being a kid in the libraries, checking out books of poetry and reading books of poetry and, um, and trying to make poems of my own that were not very good, but that I was committed to. Um, I also think about myself in the church um, or in my grandmother's lap and hearing the vernacular and being pleased by it. I think maybe mm. that has a lot to do with why I'm a poet. I mean, I think two things make us poets. One is, one thing that makes us poet is that we can't put our, is this thing we can't put our finger on. And that is that we are pleased with the way things are said. We are pleased yeah. with the sound of the fact of the saying. Uh, and we are interested in that to the point where sometimes we don't care <laughs> what's being said. We want to know how. 
yeah. was fed. Um, and I don't know why there are some people who have that, who are aware, not just that something has persuaded them, but are aware of the fact that there's a reason why it persuaded them and who are interested in figuring that reason why out and then who want to use those strategies to persuade someone else, right? Yeah. Um, so that's number one why I'm a poet and, and who knows why that is. And then number two, it's because I think at least, I think it's that we read and when we're reading, we don't, no matter how many poems we love, we don't yet see this poem. There's this poem we keep looking for. Mm -hmm. And that's why we keep writing. We're trying to write the poem we want to read, uh, the poems we want to read, the books we want to read. Um, I mean, I think that's why I'm a poet. I keep trying to make those books happen in the world. Mm. That's a great explanation. I mean, just the innate sensibility that you had from such a young age yeah. to give that identity of poet agency, even when you didn't realize that's what you were doing. Yeah, I used to be all upset about um, not getting along with my parents, but I know if we would have got along, I would have never tried to be a poet, you know? I mean, I mean, honestly, I think right now, I think it had a lot to do. My parents were always so supportive of me reading and writing and, and of me getting an education to the, to the highest possible thing. But what they weren't supportive of was me being a poet. They just were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? yeah. None of it made any sense to them. Um, and I, I still think they're confused. Like, what are you, what do you do? <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, um, so I think that tension was the best thing ever for me because it put me in a position where I really wanted to know, well, let's see if I can do it. Let's see if I can show them. Yeah. You know, and I'm, um, I'm glad because I know um, there are a lot of people who have inklings and maybe I only had an inkling. And, uh, but I think something about the spirit of resistance is what led me to really follow that inkling all the way out. So I don't think I feel any of those things, any of those two things that I was just talking about. I don't think I feel them any more than anyone else feels them who does feel them. But I do think I had reason to follow the inkling. You talk about your family a lot in the tradition. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because there is that tension that comes through, but there's also that beautiful sense of tradition in the family vernacular. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, you balance that tension that you were just talking about so well, um, and can, but can express it so beautifully. You have a poem, and I'm, you know, I should have marked it. I have a thousand things folded over, but it's a poem where you talk about uh, sitting with your mother while you're waiting on an ambulance mm -hmm. for your father. Yeah, as a human being, yeah. I yeah. Can you, can you read it? Sure. I'll read it. Um, <clears throat> as a human being, there is the happiness you have and the happiness you deserve. They sit apart from each other the way you and your mother sat on opposite ends of the sofa after an ambulance came to take your father away. Some good doctor will stitch him up 
and soon an aunt will arrive to drive your mother to the hospital where she will settle next to him forever as promised. She holds the arm of her seat as if she could fall, as if it is the only sturdy thing, and it is, since you've done what you always wanted. You fought your father and won, marred him. He'll have a scar he can see all because of you and your mother, the only woman you ever cried for, must tend to it as a bride tends to her vows, forsaking all others, no matter how sore the injury. No matter how sore the injury has left you, you sit understanding yourself as a human being, finally free now that nobody's got to love you. That, that line, that last line just contains you know, at, for, at the risk of sounding cliche, contains multitudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're just each in our own ways. And if you've had, if you've had that less than ideal background with your family, yeah. um, and I'm, I, I think my experience is wildly different, but I have that moment in my life where, it, you know, I made that choice now. Yeah, and yeah. you don't have to love me. And yeah. I am going to stand on my own two feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but yeah. there's such, there is, even in the hard words, there's tenderness. There's that love for your mother that you express because you're caring for her through this. Mm -hmm. But you recognize that this is, this is that separation point. This mm -hmm. is, this is it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. Some of the poems in your book are called a duplex. Yeah, they are. And, <laughs> you know, as, as I've learned more about that, I understand that that is something of your own creation as far as stylistically. Yeah, I invented a form called the duplex. It's um, um, 14 lines, so it's a sonnet. Um, it rhymes, so it's a sonnet. Uh, nine to 11 syllables for each line. Uh, the first line is the same as the last line and all the other lines in between repeat in a couplet form. So yeah, I, um, I'm really proud of that. I wasn't, you know, when I was making it, I wasn't, I was thinking I was making something for me, you know, um, and then somewhere in the middle of it, I realized, oh, this is something other people will use. So now there are duplexes all over in Indiana Review and Bennington Review and, um, it makes me really happy that people are, are writing duplexes and sending them out and putting them in their books. And I didn't know, you know, I'm, I'm glad about that. I'll just say. I'll just so say you that. didn't sit down and go, okay, I'm going to invent this. It was. Yeah, well, I did. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did sit down and say, I'm going to invent this, but I don't, I don't know how I managed this. And I, I think I'm only realized, I mean, to, you just asked me that question and I, at, I mean, the answer to the question is this, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that this is answer, but the answer, but never at any point while I'm working on a poem or working on a book, do I think about people reading it. Mm. So when I'm making a poem, I'm really, I mean, when I'm in the middle of making a poem, I'm really thinking about making clarity for me, um, getting at something that my mind thought, thought of as mysterious, and making it more plain and mm -hmm. then the mysteries come back in a different way because I put it on paper. 
Do you see what I mean? So yes. It's, somehow it's sometimes it's no less mysterious, but it's the mystery is now made new. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so when I was making the duplexes, I was actually it was something I was thinking about maybe for 10 to 15 years, sort of just walking around thinking about hustles, like I think about hustles, because that's the kind of nerd I am. <laughs> um, and thinking about science, because I walk around thinking about science, because that's the kind of nerd I am, and thinking about the blues. And, you know, I'm always thinking about how music is like poetry and what repeated phrases do, you know, because uh, that's the kind of nerd I am. I'm a poet. So, <laughs> so I, um, I was doing that. And um, I finally got a chance to use all these lines I had in poems that hadn't worked before. And I would cut up, I literally cut up every line I ever wrote that wasn't in a poem already. And uh, slivers of paper just were all over here, all over my mm. floor, all over the dining room. Table. I love that. And I, um, all over this couch. And I, um, and I would use, I would look at those lines and I would decide, I would say, which of these lines do I think of as highest and best? Which of these lines do I think of as strangest or most original or most unique? And I would take that line, the first line I came upon out of all those lines that really made me feel great. I would take that line and I would put, I'd say, okay, you're the first line. And I would just decide, you know? And then after that, I knew, I knew that the poem would progress in a way, I knew that the duplex would progress with me thinking about little poems. If I can write, if I call my best lines, then each line is its own poem. If I'm making a poem of couplets, then every time I write a couplet, it needs to be its own poem. And then I was like, and then once you put those couplets together, that needs to make its own poem. And so that's sort of how I was, I was thinking about it. Um, and I wanted to make it for me because then it was another way that I could see or another way I could speak you know yeah so it wasn't, and it wasn't until I was putting the book together um, with my good friend Michael Shoemaker who lives in California um, we were working uh, on the duplex I was working on the duplexes and almost every night I would call <laughs> it's like what is going on you know I wrote this book I wrote half of this book so quickly Susan um, and part of that was me working on these duplexes every night. Uh, every night in um, January and February, I would say of 2000, I think 18, before my book was due, I was working on du duplexes and calling Michael every night and, and telling him, I just sent you something. You haven't said anything. You know? <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, and in those conversations, I think I realized oh, people will see these and they sort of have to stand on their own for other folks, you know. But when I was first making them, I didn't, I mean, I was putting the book, I was putting the book in order and I wasn't really thinking about that in that way. So yeah. um, it wasn't happenstance. I did it on purpose, but I didn't, you sort of have to do the, you have to do what you do best. Yes. And then you have to see how it contributes second. If you're looking for the contribution, then you won't do what you do best. You know, you'll be somewhere doing something you actually don't do well. Do you know yeah. I mean? If we were all like, oh, we should do what best con contributes, we would all do, like, you know, we would be growing. We'd all be the same. Yeah. We'd also be like farmers, I guess. Do you, do you know that? Yeah. Some of us don't need to do that. We're not <laughs> in Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's the kind of... Um, 
that's the that's how it how it came to be. So I'm glad they're I'm glad they're there. I can read you one. Can I read you one? Yes, please. I'll read you the um let's see. Um and they're all they're all in this book at least they all have the same title. Um duplex. And when you when you hear it, um hopefully hopefully your listeners will be able to hear how those forms come through, um, the sonnet, the 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 hustle uh and the um and the blues. Uh, how all those come through in this in this poem in this form, and you'll hear you you will hear the reverberations of the repeated line of the of the um, the echo. You will hear the echo. I think mm-hmm. uh, see how the form works. Duplex. I begin with love, hoping to end there. I don't want to leave a messy corpse. I don't want to leave a messy corpse full of medicines that turn in the sun. Some of my medicines turn in the sun. Some of us don't need hell to be good. Those who need most need hell to be good. What are the symptoms of your sickness? Here is one symptom of my sickness. Men who love me are men who miss me. Men who leave me are men who miss me in the dream where I am an island. In the dream where I am an island, I grow green with hope. I'd like to end there. So yeah, that's an example of the form. I love the, there's a, I I am not formally trained as a poet. So everything I think about or everything I take in, I'm learning as I go. And I think with the duplex, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a mild syncopation to the rhythm mm-hmm. that gives it, gives it the right cadence even for reading mm-hmm. visually how it's laid out on the page because you can't, I mean, it, it looks very geometric laid out on the page, but when you're reading it, you, ha- you have to always be listening for the past beat and the forward beat. Yeah. And so it creates this, this motion for me that that I love and it makes me go usually I go back to the beginning and start over and just keep reading it because it's like oh this is this is so nice so I wanted to uh I realized I was making a form that was sort of marrying forms together right and one of the things I wanted to do was bring east to west so or bring west to east um, bring them together. And so the syllabic count of nine to 11, 11 syllables sort of pushes you in a position where you're writing iambic pentameter, but not trying to, do you know, like you're not stressed out about iambic pentameter. Um, and yet, and yet you end up with line after line of it. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, certain rhythms coming up in the reading of the poem and then being very varied uh, variations to those rhythms coming at just at just the right moment. Now, do you do you teach your own invention in the courses you teach? You know, I, um, this is a great question. So the book came out in um, in April, and I wasn't I wasn't teaching that semester, and then in the um, in April of last year. So she's a year old. Um, so then in the fall, I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't think to do it. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I was so busy trying to deal. I was on this really crazy tour. I did something like um, 
between March 16th and Thanksgiving of 2019, I did something like three cities a week, mm. um, including the summer, which I have no idea how I, I still look back at that summer and I'm like, where was I reading? School was not in session, do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but I had work, man. We, um, we worked all, I mean, we worked most of that year. And then of course, um, with COVID coming around, things got cut off this March and I'm low key, not glad about the reason, but glad that I was able to take a break earlier mm. than I expected. Cause I really um, run myself and my health uh, ragged on the road. Sure. The tradition um, and you know, uh, the tradition wasn't gonna give me a break. So I'm glad that I, I got to take one anyway. So while I was uh, this semester teaching over Zoom um, and having to teach, you know, I had to cancel class on my birthday, but then we missed class because of the students needing to get back home. And so then I decided that we would use my birthday to write duplexes. So all day mm. yesterday in my class, my class is a three hour class and we use maybe the last hour, hour and a half, they all wrote duplexes. And I, I literally sat with them and walked them through um, the exercise and every line and how to get it done. And they showed up with 14 lines. The, the, the poem's only seven lines. I mean, it's 14 lines long, right? Right. But you only need seven lines because they're all repeated, right? Yeah. So they showed up with 14 lines so that they would have extra. Um, and then from there, we used, uh, we used the lines they had for them to make duplexes and they were very, very pleased and proud and happy. And when we got off the Zoom, they were already back to work and go, they were like, okay, leave me alone with Dr. Brown. I got to work on you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you, like, gave, you gave them a gift for your birthday. Yeah, that was really nice. Great. So I had a good time with them. They're pretty great. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I want to give you a chance to share like your social media, where people can find you. This is normally where I say, you know, are you reading anywhere? But we know that that's not happening, but online events. Thursday, I'm actually reading for Zoom. I'm doing something. I'm doing some things that I think people will be able to get to online, but I haven't, you know, I haven't kept up with them. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't know exactly <laughs> because of what they are. I don't know what they are. You know, it's yeah. like when you're going to a place, then when somebody asks you to show up on a Zoom conversation, um, but, you know, my emails are all public. I'm easy to find. I'm, you know, if you Google me, people are always like, um, what's your email address? And I'm like, it's the same as yours. It's online. Do you know? <laughs> um, and I check it. And, um, you know, uh, I think people think I'm not like checking my email. But every time somebody sends me an email, I send a reply back. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We all have to deal with email. I'm very upset about it. I would like to ignore my emails. I know plenty of people who do. I'm trying to learn to um, ignore more emails, actually. I'm getting better at it, but I really am not very good at it. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can get me on email, but yeah, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook as Jericho Brown. I'm on um, Twitter as at Jericho Brown, and I am on Instagram at, at Jericho Brown one yeah, you're pretty easy to find. Yeah, I don't post on on Instagram enough. I should post there more. I don't ever like taking pictures. <laughs> now, we've talked a lot about the tradition. Do you have a few minutes to spare to talk about your other two collections just a little yeah, bit? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
my first book is a book called Please. It came out in 2008, um, which is hard to believe that that was <laughs> so now uh, 12 years ago. Come October, that'll be 12 years ago, end of October. Um, and it's beautiful uh, in its cover. I was so pleased with how it turned out. Uh, New Issues published it. Um, and it's a book about domestic violence ultimately, but it carries mm -hmm. on this of being a book about music. Um, Luther Vandross is in there, Janis Joplin's in there, Diana Ross is in there, Minnie Riverton, The Temptations, Donny Hathaway. So there are poems um, about uh, these figures, Marvin Gaye, these figures I fell in love with when I was a kid, um, or, or poems that, and in which these, these, figures are, these figures are mentioned. Um, and the poems sort of conduct themselves as songs would. The book is uh, broken into uh, sections. Um, the sections are called Repeat, Pause, Power. So it's a book that's really um, artifice-driven and artifice-based, but it's ultimately about my own coming of age um, and my own growing up and, and getting to know myself. Um, and then my second book is a book Really, it's a book. Um, when I first started having health issues uh, a while ago, I remember uh, my I remember my response. This is part of what I was talking about earlier when I was saying poets are paying attention not just to what's said, but why it's said and how. Mm. And I remember a doctor gave me some crazy diagnosis, and I said, "God." <laughs> and then immediately I was like, well, why am I saying God? <laughs> like, what? So my second book is called The New Testament. And it's sort of, I mean, for me, at least it's about um, that connection or that need for a connection to something higher, something spiritual, even after you find yourself in the midst of being what you think of as a, what you might think of as a non-believer. Um, and then I had to go back and realize that I was still a, a believer in many ways. And so mm -hmm. I wrote this book that, um, investigates my relationship with with um, with that other book, that big book uh, called The yeah. Bible. That was such an important part of my life when I was a kid growing up. Um, and that book is that book is about um, about sexuality, and there's a lot of love making in that book. Uh, and then, and it's also a book about um, overcoming um, and understanding that I am not only my physical body. Mm. Uh, and so uh, and so those are the um, those are the other, the other two books I've written. Um, that second book, uh, the New Testament, came out in 2014 with Copper Canyon Press, who was my publisher for this third book, and they've been wonderful. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. If they're anything like this one, I encourage everybody to go out there and grab one copy of each of them yeah. for yourself. Yeah. And then, if you're feeling generous, get one copy of each of them and give them away to somebody who needs your poetry. <laughs> And, and I think it's good if I can just interrupt yeah. this um, and hopefully your listeners will really hear this and, uh, and spread this. This is a very uh, precarious time for our independent bookstores, for our yes. bookstores. Um, and I know people are reading more. I do fear that when they read more, they're sort of automatically ordering from Amazon, which you know is your business. Uh, if it's as simple as a click here and a click there, though, please go to IndieBound. Please um, look up, Google your, your local independent bookseller. Um, people can't go into bookstores right now. Right. So you need us to order books for them, from them like never before. Yeah. So um, look up your local bookseller. They are, I bet you, delivering books. 
Oh, abs I just got a box today from yeah. uh, a, my, my favorite little bookstore in town and yeah. I actually had her on the podcast after this all started yeah. to talk about ways to do this. What's the name of that bookstore? Blue Stocking Books. Oh, Blue Stocking Books. Will you tell Blue Stocking Books I say hello? I will do that. I will uh, do that. Yeah, you know, uh, I can't say this enough. Um, you know, call them, look them up online, order books. Order books even just because you know somebody has somebody else's address and they're bored. Do yeah, send them, send them something. Yeah. Send books to people um, now in ways that you have never sent books to people before. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great yeah. advice. I just hate to get through this thing. I would hate to get through something like this and go back to a world where these bookstores don't exist anymore. Exactly. And exactly. That's we have, I mean, book people, we have to keep our eyes on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know we're keeping our eyes on a lot right now. Yeah. Um, you know, fast food joints aren't going to have a problem. They'll get through this just fine. It looks right. Like <laughs> yeah, probably. It looks, like they, it looks like they're actually benefiting. Yes, I <laughs> think so. You know anytime I mean? I've seen one in town, if we've been able to go out at all, yeah. the lines are all the way around the building for people yeah. just, yeah. you know. Yeah. Which I think for me, a fast food place is the last place I'm going to go. <laughs> that sell food stuffs, period. You know, um, they're hire I see all these commercials about how they're hiring at Publix and Kroger's and Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we've got to think about, well, who else is out there and who hasn't been able to keep going during this time? And how can, and if we were to walk out of our, if they told us it was over, now and we walked out of our house where would we be going and would it be there for us because we haven't found a way to support it while we're away you know? right well and the thing about these independent bookstores too people people start these not because they just think one day oh i'll start a bookstore they have a passion for it and this is their lifeblood so they go into it wanting to do something that's really wonderful yeah. and they're suffering help them out do them a solid and order some good books. Thank you all so much. Well, thank you, Jericho. This has been, my year is made complete. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. Please follow Jericho on Instagram at JerichoBrown1 and on Twitter at Jericho Brown. Search for him on Facebook and go to his website at jerichobrown.com. And please ask your local small bookstore to find his books for you. I know they would love to do that. Thank you for joining us on Poet Kind today. I'm sending love to each of you. It may sound corny, and I say this every week, but each of you matters to what I do for this episode and every episode. Keep creating, keep writing, keep painting, whatever it is that you were meant to do, keep doing it and share it with the world. Share it with us. Let me know what you're up to. If you're a creator, share what you're up to by tagging Poetkind. And never forget, we are always better together. Let's lift each other up. Compare notes, not ourselves. Our individual gifts are important, so bring those to the table. As always, you can find Poetkind on Instagram and Twitter at Poetkind Podcast. 
I look forward to seeing you there. Take care, stay safe and healthy, and keep creating.